people so that you may speak of the wonderful acts of the one who called you out of the darkness into his amazing light. Once you weren't a people, but now you are God's people. Once you hadn't received mercy, but now you have received mercy. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. So that song was written for Queen Elizabeth's coronation. It's not true, but um, here we are. New person on the throne. And our text today start, or has a little bit of royalty in it, doesn't it? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, holy nation, a people who are God's own possession. It's hard not to think of this weekend's coronation of King Charles III when one hears the word royal. I confess I did not get up to watch the coronation yesterday morning, but I did watch the clips of it later. All the pageantry and the jewels and the formality, it's so fascinating. And also, it's just this small group of humans in this big world playing out ancient rituals that have been the source of some good and some bad throughout history. But amid all the pageantry and pomp, I couldn't help but wonder what 
Charles and Camilla were feeling when the crowns were placed on their heads. These crowns confer a, t confer a title, they confer a list of duties, but they do not confer joy or peace or meaning or belonging. And so the writer of 1 Peter today is talking about a different kind of royalty, one that does bring what our human hearts long for. Would you pray with me? God, we long to taste and see your goodness. May our hearts be open to that this morning, and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the writer of this passage would probably not receive a very good grade from their language arts teacher. <laughs> there are so many mixed metaphors for the spiritual life, from a nursing child to living stones to a temple to a cornerstone to royalty to darkness and light. Today, I just want to focus on the two primary ones that captured my imagination as I read this passage and shared it with others in our Bible study. This idea of the spiritual life being uh, like us as a nursing child, and the second one of living stones. It's always hard for me as a woman and a mother to skip over these maternal images in scripture, especially since so many of us have received more male-dominated images of God throughout our lives. The lectionary begins at verse 2, but I just want to jump back to one verse to the beginning of chapter 2, where the author begins, Therefore get rid of all ill will and all deceit, pretense, envy, and slander. Instead, like a newborn baby, desire the pure milk of the word. Nourished by it, you will grow into salvation. I think the author is asking this question of their audience. What is your source of nourishment? Where does your soul find good food? Think about it. Are you feeding on ill will or deceit or pretense or envy or slander? Maybe all those words seem a, a little big, but you know, I had to ask myself, when was the last time I got a little hit out of comparing myself with another person? Or maybe just a little bit of gossip or rolling your eyes at someone else's actions. These things are the junk food of soul consumption. They may taste good, but they are not nurturing a healthy spirituality. They're not growing us towards God. Instead, the author encourages us to feed on the milk, the pure milk of the word. And not just feeding here, but the actual word in Greek means craving. What God is offering in contrast to ill will, deceit, pretense, envy, and slander is goodness, truth, authenticity, contentment and blessing. For the writer, this isn't an intellectual endeavor. 
They make a reference here to the Psalms when they say, since you have tasted that the Lord is good, just like we heard um, from that Psalm 34, the beautiful taste and see that the Lord is good. The spiritual life is something that is meant that, to be experienced. It's not something we just assent to. We're invited to make a diet of the goodness of God. But we have to learn how to take this in, how to feed on God. There's a paradox to, to having a nursing child, as any new mother will tell you. Feeding a baby is the most natural thing in the world, and it is simultaneously a very steep learning curve. And this is what the spiritual life is like. Our souls long and need the nourishment of God's goodness, and yet we have to learn how to do this. The beginning of this learning is not trying harder or buckling down. The beginning of it is belonging, which leads us to our next metaphor, living stones. This is not a seamless shift from newborn baby to living stone, but here we are in the text. Now you are coming to God, to him, to Christ, as a living stone, as to a living stone. Coming to Christ as if you are coming to a living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen and valuable. This is the, a point of connection for the communities to who this letter was written. It's a diaspora of early Christian churches who seem to be feeling marginalized, maybe persecuted, maybe suffering. They're wondering what if are they connected to the larger community of Christ followers? Are they wonder, they're wondering if they've chosen the right path, the right spiritual path. And the author is reassuring them, Jesus too was rejected by humans. Jesus too knew what it was like to feel on the margins. But Jesus was chosen and valuable. And guess what? In verse 5, the author says, you yourselves are living stones. Christ is a living stone. You are a living stone. This is a really curious metaphor, living stones. I really couldn't find much about it in um, the commentaries. One friend of mine, as we were talking about this, was reminding me of that scene. Um, I know I mentioned this movie at Easter, but everything, everywhere, all at once when the mother and daughter are on the top of this hillside, two little rocks, and there's little bubbles coming up out of their heads as they're talking to each other. It's a really weird movie. It's as weird as that sounds. But, um, you know, is that what's meant? Is these little rocks just sitting there having this conversation? But then as we were speaking about it in Bible study this week, um, a woman mentioned Petra in Jordan. Have any of you been to Petra in Jordan? I have not been, but it's on the bucket list, where you find these beautiful structures that are carved out of stone. And in conversation at Bible study this week, a woman who has been there mentioned that when she was there, they spoke about the stone as living stones. Again, I didn't find this anywhere, but it, it makes sense to me. Most of us have heard the story of Michelangelo who saw marble as a living stone. His sculptures were not imposed onto the marble, but were really a conversation 
with what the marble wanted to be. And so when it says, you yourselves are being built like living stones into a spiritual temple, we can embrace this vision that God is working to shape us into our true individual selves, not cookie-cutter images, but working with who we are and where we are as a living stone. But the patterning is after Christ. Together with Christ, we are building structures where those who are rejected find belonging. With Christ, we are welcoming those who have been marginalized and they, where they to be a place where they find honor. With Christ, we see that those who have been in darkness come into the light. Those who are ca aren't catching any breaks receive mercy. We are being built into living stones and then together being built into this larger temple of welcome and belonging and love and connection and community where those who are rejected find a home. The verbs in this passage were also really intriguing to me. I, um, I texted my sister, who is a um, language arts teacher, yesterday because I, I said, what tense are these verbs? This, what we are being made into. And she said, I think it's like present perfect, but it's one of those fuzzy ones, one of those hard ones. Um, the Greek is, is the middle voice, which we don't have in English. Um, there's also some passive tense. It's, they're kind of an interesting mix, but they're not focused on what we're doing. They are focused on what God is doing to us what God is doing within us. You are being built like living stones. You are being made into a holy priesthood. You have become this people. You have received mercy. Again, like, like the newborn child, our job is to learn to receive, to surrender to what God is giving us to allow ourselves to be formed as living stones. Some of you know that this last week, and I've been real public about it on social media, that my husband and I celebrated 25 years of marriage. And as I, oh, thank you. Somewhere. <laughs> and as I looked at the picture of us 25 years ago, I wonder, how did this happen? <laughs> How did we end up raising two daughters who seem to be functioning humans in the world? How did we grow two careers, buy a couple houses, and go through some of the most painful and joyful parts of life together? And we have both changed significantly in these years. If someone had walked up to me on my wedding day and said, this is a picture of your life in 25 years, I would have thought they were talking about someone else. I didn't, we didn't know I would be a pastor. We didn't know we'd have the children we have with all of their complexities and individual interests. We didn't know we'd move to Bend, Oregon. We didn't know we'd move to the peninsula when I came here. I kept calling it the South Bay, and Christine Martins had to correct me and say, it's the peninsula. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was just, it was all, I was from the East Bay, so it was all just down there, right? But this is what our lives have become. 
and who knows what's ahead of us. But through all of this time, we were being made into the people that were able for this life because we just showed up for each other day after day, showed up for our kids, intending and sometimes succeeding at loving one another. And this is how I think spiritual formation, transformation works as well. It's a mystery, but it happens when we keep showing up returning to the pure nourishment of God's love, and slowly we are being made into living stones, gathered with other living stones to build temples of belonging and hope in this world. So the invitation here in this passage, I think, is to leave the stories of abandonment and rejection and live into mercy. Live into your true self. Keep leaving behind ill will and deceit and pretense and envy and slander and feast on goodness and truth, authenticity, contentment, and blessing. And in this, we will find how stones can live, how our true selves can rise to meet one another and build structures that are in the image of Christ. This week, as I was talking to uh, some friends, uh, another pastor friend of mine asked, uh, is is there a Mary Oliver poem about stones? (laughs) I said, well, there's a Mary Oliver poem about everything in nature, so let's look it up. And sure enough, there's a Mary Oliver poem about stones. So I'd like to end this morning with this beautiful poem by Mary Oliver, Do Stones Feel? Do stones feel? Do they love their life? Or does their patience drown out everything else? When I walk on the beach, I I gather a few white ones, dark ones, the multiple colors. Don't worry, I say, I'll bring you back. And I do. Is the tree, as it rises, delighted with its many branches, each one like a poem? Are the clouds glad to unburden their bundles of rain? Most of the world says, no, no, it's not possible. I refuse to think to such a conclusion. Too terrible terrible it would be to be wrong. May we be living stones in the image of Christ, rising to our true selves and finding God meets us there. Amen.